It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. 1-0. Launch to left field. Back goes Verdugo. He's going to run out of room. Home run number one for Spencer Torkelson. A two-run shot here in the seventh. On the hill for the Padres is Mackenzie Gore. Swing and a miss, and he strikes out Ozzie Albies to begin his major league career. That is strike three. Second strikeout for Mackenzie Gore. The family loves it. Two down. Swing and a miss, and Albies strikes out. Strikeout number three for Mackenzie Gore. One down in the sixth inning. Cracks. In the center field for a base hit. Torrens around third. He's coming home to score. Kellnick slides into third base. Julio Rodriguez has made it a two-nothing Mariners lead in the fourth inning. First big league ribby for Julio. Here's a swing and a high fly ball out towards right center field. That one going back, and it's gone. See you later. And Seiya Suzuki shoots that out into the jet stream. This one drilled in the air left field. Way back there. And he's done it again. Seiya Suzuki goes yard. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callison, Jonathan Mayo, and the season is underway. And we have our eyes on prospects in both in the big leagues and in the minor leagues. We're going to take a look at some guys who are off to fast starts, both in MLB and MILB. One of those guys off to a fast start in the minors is Reds shortstop prospect Matt McLean. We're going to have a chat with him. And we are working on expanding our top draft prospects list from 100 to 150. That will be coming out soon, so we will talk about that a little bit and we'll wrap up as we always do by answering a question from the mailbag jim jonathan greetings salutations both of you from your uh respective homes this time uh jonathan if you if you deign to reveal your location that is that is correct correct all right i want to know where you guys are at all times and, and jason fresh off a fire drill in in the main office so that's right. That's right. What is your fire drill speed on the 20 to 80 scale? No, it's not about speed, Jim. It's more efficiency. It's more about smarts and efficiency. Isn't yeah. it about speed? Well, there's probably there's an element of speed involved. There's an element of <laughs> you got to know where to go is is the main thing. That uh, yeah, Stair, stairwell A is where I'll be going in in case of emergency here. Um, all right, so let's start in the big leagues. Oh, we have fire drill, hot prospects. Uh, I think our graphics even have some flames on them. Look at this. Um, We have uh, our first rookie hot list of the year uh, going up uh, as we record this on Tuesday. It's it's being produced ably by, I I believe, by young Willie Kornblatt right now. Uh, That story should be up on MLB.com slash pipeline momentarily. Uh, And basically every few weeks – uh, we will look at the the rookies in the big leagues who are the hottest over the course of the past few weeks, uh, which is a little bit different from our rookie power rankings in which we are ranking the rookies based on our expectations as to how they'll finish in the rookie of the year balloting at the end of the season. So two different things here, uh, gauging rookie uh, rookies in the big leagues. And to start things off, this year, um, we have a rookie who doesn't really, uh, as you guys said when we were talking about whether we should even discuss this guy, he's not really in our domain because while he's a rookie, he does not qualify for our prospect lists. Uh, but that is Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs. He's number one on our list of rookies off to the hottest starts. He's been absolutely blazing, and you know there were questions about how he would translate uh, coming over from Japan, and uh, so far the early returns are that it, his uh, skills have translated extremely well 
uh, hit 400, 543-960 over the course of the first week. Four home runs, 11 RBIs, nine walks. Something I thought was interesting, we have a, a story on why this early success is sustainable by the fantastic Sarah Langs. And something that, that does pertain to, to us that I saw mentioned in here that I thought was interesting is that he has swung at uh, fewer pitches. He's been more selective than all but two other hitters in the big league so far. S- Spencer Torkelson and G-Man Choi have swung at the fewest percentage of pitches they've seen this year. Does that surprise you about about? I was Torkelson? just going to say that. You didn't give me the opportunity to answer, but... Uh... No, no, yes. I mean, Torkelson, it doesn't surprise – I mean, it surprises me a little bit in that he's a rookie and it's his first taste of the big leagues. But he does have a really good eye at the plate, so I'm not in general surprised, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, even if he wasn't uh, hitting seven homers opening week or putting up huge numbers, that's not a guy who's going to stray from the approach that that got him there. So that's not too surprising. And Suzuki – I was going to say, like, with Suzuki – you know, I think in general, the Japanese players who've hit in Japan have generally hit in the United States. It's just you're never sure how the power is going to translate. Um, and I don't know if Suzuki's going to hit four home runs every 10 days or, or whatever his pace is right now. But um, but so far, so good. I mean, I think that was kind of the biggest question. And I mean, he's, he's slugging 929. So in his first, uh, you know, 10 days in the big leagues, uh, the, the power has translated very, very well. All right, so Suzuki is at the top of the list. Uh, He's followed by Stephen Kwan at number two, who we spoke extensively about last week on the podcast. Number three on the list, Spencer Strider. Number four, Matt Brash. Number five, Hunter Green. Number six, Joey Bart. Seven, Joe Ryan. Eight, Seth Beer. Nine, Jeremy Pena. And 10, the aforementioned Spencer Torkelson. Guys, uh, who stood out to you uh, off of this list so far? I'm going to start with Spencer Strider. He's the Braves' number two prospect. Kind of just a crazy story because he, you know, he had Tommy John surgery, hadn't thrown a lot, got drafted in the 2020 draft, um, and then last year basically pitched his way across all of the minor leagues. And now, you know, he's pitching out of the bullpen uh, and doing so very well, almost too well, because I, I do think he has a chance to start long term. But I'm wondering, you know, uh, how long they keep him in, in the bullpen. He's got 11 strikeouts in nine innings. Uh, you know, he's always had a very good fastball, but in the shorter stints, I mean, he's been averaging close to 98 miles per hour with a fastball with good spin rates. He's topped out at 100, and he couples it with a, a really, really nasty mid 80s slider uh, that uh, has been up to about 87, 88 miles per hour. So, uh, and he misses a lot of bats with that too. So, those two pitches alone, he could pitch in the back end, end of a bullpen for a very, very long time. Uh, but I do think that he does have the the ability to start long-term. We'll see where it goes. But a very encouraging uh, beginning for him uh, in, in the big leagues with the the Braves. And, you know, the more he does this, the more high-leverage situations I think we're going to see him in. I was going to say, I'll just continue down on the list and, and go with the next guy, Matt Brash, who we added to the top 100 prospects list this, this offseason. I, I had one scout – who told me that his team evaluated Matt Brash as having the best breaking ball in, in the entire minor leagues. And, and, he, and he really has two really good breaking balls. I mean, you know, he's had two starts so far, um, you know, battled the control a little bit, but 12 strikeouts and 10 and two thirds innings, only given up six hits. And this is a guy who's only pitched 55 innings in the minors before coming to the big leagues this year. He was a, a fourth round pick out of Niagara by the Padres and, and pitched five innings, um, you know, five good innings in the minors at the, at the end of the 2019 season, but five innings total. And then was kind of off to on his own during the pandemic. And the Mariners asked for him and got him as the, the player uh, to be named in a trade for Taylor Williams is not even with the Padres anymore. And Brash's stuff has just taken off. But if you, if you've seen the highlights, his slider has so much horizontal movement, it's it's ridiculous, and he throws it hard. It's a mid-80s slider, and it also has depth to the point where I think sometimes people mistake the depth on it for a curve. And he's also got, you know, more of a curveball that, you know, still has a lot of horizontal movement, not quite as much, and more depth 
and is a couple miles an hour slower. And his, his, his balls just move so much, those breaking pitches, that they're impossible to hit. And, and oh, by the way, you know, he averages 96 miles an hour with, with a four-seamer, uh, you know, the, the, up in the strike zone. And, and so if you're trying to sit on that, then, then you're, you're really victimized by the breaking stuff. So he's, he's been really fun to watch. I mean, it, it's not the smoothest delivery. It's not the most strikes in the world. So I, I do think there's some reliever risk, although in today's game, uh, you know, I, I mean, maybe it's not so much reliever risk as maybe he's more, you know, four-inning starter risk. And those guys are quite valuable. He, he's just fun to watch. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody hits his stuff uh, because it, it just moves so much. It's impossible. Yeah, he is a lot of fun to watch. I, I uh, saw the, his first start and five of his six strikeouts were on the breaking ball. And then I, I didn't see the second one, but just looked it up quickly. And out of his strikeouts in that game, uh, three of them on sliders as well. So that all checks out. All right. So, again, that story, uh, how does – Rookies in the big leagues is up on MLB.com slash pipeline. Also uh, on the site is our first prospect team of the week. Uh, now, this is one player per position, uh, and these are all guys in the minor leagues. And we do this on a weekly basis. And our first team of the week has a couple of guys, uh, Jim and Jonathan, that you guys want to focus on. And I would say that we, we don't name a a, a player of the week, but I would have to think that if we did, uh, Nolan Gorman might be that individual. Maybe we should name a player of the week. Yeah, seriously, that's not a bad idea. And then that could be an easy lead, and then and then on to the team. No, well, there we go. We've just revolutionized the prospect team of the week right here. Brainstorming on on the air. It's exciting. Uh, yeah, no, I mean Nolan Gorman. It's hard to would be hard to pick someone who had a, a better start you know to to the season of the last week six homers in six games um you know all solo homers which is weird but uh it's neither here nor there six of his 11 hits um where homers and look you know we've always known about his power pretty much since he was a first rounder back in, in 2018 it sh- showed up he had 25 homers last year between double and triple a he's gonna strike out that's just the fact of the matter. And, you know, he, he's got overall 15 strikeouts this year in 10 game and 41 plate appearances. He had nine uh, in this past week, but no one's going to care <laughs> if he's getting to the power like this. Um, now he's not going to get to the power at this rate regularly. Uh, I think the only questions now are, you know, when, when might he get called up and can he play second base at the big league level? Uh, we're gonna have to wait and see on that. Um, and he's got Tommy Edmond in his way too, Tom, who, who continues to play well for the Cardinals. Right. That's you know that's the other thing. Now Tommy Edmond does have the ability to move around um, if the Cardinals wanted to do that and you know make room for Gorman's bat. Um, you know I don't think you bring Nolan Gorman up and have him move around. Um, you know although you, he's a pretty good third baseman. Obviously they don't need him at third with Nolan Arenado, but he hasn't played anywhere else. Tommy Edmond, you know can kind of move play all over the place. And I'm wondering if that's eventually what they do for now, you know, Gorman can continue to, to see advanced pitching in triple a uh, and, and wait by the phone. Yeah. You would, you would think maybe he could cobble together some at bats playing second, filling in at third when Arenado gets a day off and then with DH as well. Uh, of course they signed Albert Pujols, who's pretty much only going to DH and, uh, you also have uh, Gorman's AAA teammate, Juan Yepes, who's another candidate to get some DH at-bats and is off to a very good start. So kind of crowded uh, spot there for Gorman. Jim, who you got? I'm going to go with uh, Jordan Brewer, who's fascinated me for a while. Um, he's with the Astros, outfielder. Uh, he had a big week as well, hit 444 with a, an ops over 1,600. Three homers, three steals. He's he's a potential, you know, at least twenty twenty guy, and he just really needs to play. Uh, you know, he was a guy who was actually a, a wide receiver on Michigan's radar. The University of Michigan's radar as a wide receiver before he hurt his shoulder as a high school senior. So he went the JUCO baseball route and wound up joining the Wolverines, uh, part of their their uh, baseball team that came within a win of the national championship in two thousand nineteen. He was Big Ten Conference Player of the Year and a third round pick, and you know, really interesting athlete. And he's barely played. He had a toe injury that he played through in college that kind of limited him in his pro debut. 
Then he injured his knee and had surgery. So even if we had not had the pandemic wipe out the 2020 season, he would have missed that season and they brought him back slowly. So he only played half a year last year. Um, so he, he's a guy who, who really needs at bats. He, he's already 24. He's in high A, but it, it's a really, really good athlete. It, it's well above average speed. It's plus raw power. You know, it's not, you know, it's not the smoothest right-handed swing. Um, you know, there is some swing and miss in his game. Uh, you know, so far so good. He's walked one, he struck out in, in the very early going, but if he can, you know, manage his at bats well, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, could be, you know, 20 plus home run guy, 30 plus steals and play you pretty solid center field. And he throws well enough to, to handle right field. If he has to move to a corner. So, uh, you know, I think in turn, you know, the, the Astro system is, is not one of our higher ranked farm systems. They've promoted a lot of guys. They've traded a lot of guys. I do think that that Brewer has one of the highest ceilings in their system, and if they can keep him healthy and get him going this year, you know he, he's going to shoot up their prospect list. He's he's only number twenty one on the list right now, but he can really shoot up. Some other notable names on the first prospect team of the week of the year. There's a pretty big NL Central contingent there. As a matter of fact, along with Nolan Gorman, there are two other. Cardinals on the team, uh, both pitchers. The right-handed pitcher is Gordon Graceffo, and the relief pitcher is Freddy Pacheco, who I will never not think of the fight doctor when I see that name. <laughs> That's Freddy Pacheco, isn't it? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, the the relief doctor. Um, and uh, Mason Martin, notable because of the fact that he is now the current leader in Prospect Team of the Week appearances. Uh, the all-time leader is Kyle Tucker, who made the team 11 different times. Usually, you, you know, with minor league situations like that, you, you kind of think like a, a career leader, uh, you typically don't want to be on a list like that. But, you know, the case with Tucker, he was just uh, good for a long time as he was making his way up and then kind of got stuck there at AAA for a bit. But uh, 11 appearances on prospect teams of the week. Mason Martin makes his Seventh team. Another NL Central prospect on the list is Matt McLean, who we mentioned in the intro we're going to talk to, and we're going to do that right after this on the MLB Pipeline podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Right, welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jonathan Mayo here along with Tim Carlson. We're very pleased to welcome on to the show the Reds' first round pick from a year ago. Still basking in the glow of making the Pipeline Prospect Team of the Week, I'm sure. It's Matt McClain joining us from, I think you're in Mississippi, Matt. Do I have that right? Yeah, Miss Pearl, Mississippi. We're playing the uh, the Braves. Well, th- thank you for, for joining us. Let, let's start with the, the most recent uh, because, you know, you, you go straight to, to double A to start your first full year and uh, seem to clearly hit the ground running. Uh, you know, all jokes aside, making the prospect team of the week, hitting for the cycle last week. Um, I guess if you were to draw it up, you know, and how you would get started in your first full season, it would look something like this. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, we went to to play the Cubs north of Knoxville, and it was uh, thirty to forty degrees, and it was windy, and I punched out probably more than half my at bats to start that weekend. And because I never played at UCLA, I never played in the game that cold. So I was, I'm not blaming it on the cold, but it was, it was a tough, it was an actual tough <laughs> first couple games. But yeah, last couple of days was good. 
Yeah, Matt, I, Jim Callis here. Yeah, I saw Sunday, you drew a lot of attention. You hit for the cycle and you took only seven pitches to do it. Is that the first time you ever hit for the cycle? And it seems like a lot of times in the cycle, you need the triple in the last at bat, which you needed and got. Were you, were you thinking triple uh, going into that last? What was that whole experience like? You didn't waste much time with, with doing it on seven pitches. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think that I've hit for the cycle. Um, I can't remember. I've been asked that a couple of times. Like, I can't remember one. I feel like I would remember. But, yeah, the seven pitches thing is cool. Um, the last one was the triple. We got the big walls up in Chattanooga that are wood. So it did help, help me. I don't think the outfielders really wanted to bash into the wall going for the ball. So they watched it bounce off the wall, and I'm like, I'm going to third. It was probably a triple. I stretched it a little bit for sure, but I was safe. There, there was no throw. I think the relay was a little bit offline. I watched it on video. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, as time goes on, especially if you don't do this again, it, that was a single you stretched into a triple. You got to embellish a little bit. Back to <laughs> a yeah. Yeah. Make it a better story. Yeah. Like, oh, he tripped. I tripped. <laughs> I was at second and ran to third. <laughs> you get it. You get it. Uh, that's, that's excellent. Uh, was going straight to double A something that you had set as, as a goal heading in? You know, you're kind of, entered pro ball, you know, coming into the draft as a, you know, that sort of quote unquote advanced college hitter, a guy who could move pretty quickly. The Reds don't hesitate to kind of push guys aggressively. Was after your, after your pretty good summer debut, was this something you're like, all right, maybe I can kind of push things a little bit and start in double A or were you surprised at all by that? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, I didn't really assume I was going to go play anywhere because that's really out of my control at the end of the day. And uh, yeah, I was always taught from a young age, control what you can. Um, so w wherever I was going to play this year, wherever I'm going to play this year, I kind of tried to tune that out as much as I can. You know, like people talk about it, um, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I'm me and I'm going to play my game no matter where I am. It's not really going to change how I play. So I tried not to worry too much about it. You, Matt, Jonathan was joking with you about making prospect team of the week and what a, what a lofty honor that is. I want to know who had the best week in the McLean family last week. Was it you <laughs> or was it your brother, Sean, who went 11 for 16 and was Pac-12 player of the week at Arizona State? And then part two of the question is, you went to UCLA. How do you let your brother go to Arizona State? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, so a couple. <laughs> so he actually called me. Like, we, we talk all the time. We're best friends, me, Sean, and Nick. And – uh he was, he was giving me grief about uh, hitting with Major League Baseballs. And he, he said, oh, yeah, you only hit a couple out because it was – and I did hit one homer off a position player. So that was definitely brought up uh, <laughs> multiple times because he didn't have any homers, but he had 11 hits. But, yes, he, he had a really good week. I would say he had a better week this week. And what, what was the other part of that? You know, as a UCLA guy, how do you let your brother go to Arizona State? How does that happen? Yeah, he's he's a, he's different. Um, well, we play the same positions for one, and two, he want he wanted to be away from from everything. I mean, he visited ASU with my dad in high school, and he loved it. And it's a really good spot for him, honestly. Yeah, he loves it. He loves going to the field every day and playing. It's a really good program over there. Yeah, Jim makes it sound like he you know he went to some D three school no, in no, New no, Hampshire. No. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go. Like, my son goes to a D three school in Connecticut, so that was I was not I was not uh, sort of throwing shade on 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 that one. You need to throw back at him that you hit with wood, by the way. Like he, he's complaining that you're hitting major league baseballs. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I just let him talk his smack. Yeah, he says he says congrats. He hit a homer with a couple major league baseballs, and then he pulled up uh, the position player homer. He found it. That was the first one. It was off the position. <laughs> it still counts, man. It still counts. Yeah. I, I did want to, you know, since we we're, were talking about your brother and you brought up, uh, brought up Nick, uh, you know, who, who is also beginning his college career. What, what is going on in the McLean house that, that all three of you are, are this good, you know, and, what, and at what point did you realize that this was something kind of special? I mean, you're the oldest one. So you kind of had the, the, the bird's eye view, so to speak. Yeah, you know, my senior year, it was Sean's junior year and Nick's freshman year at Beckman. When we all got to play together in the same team, that was that was really cool because we, we had never done that. Me and Sean always played together. Sean and Nick never really played together. They did a little bit, but we were certainly never three all on the same team because me and Nick are kind of far in age. But that year we did, and it was really cool. And, yeah, that's that's that was kind of the point where I was like, dang, this is this is special. But, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, Matt, going back to your decision, I mean, you're one of the few players in draft history who's actually been a first-round pick twice. Were you 
close to signing with the Diamondbacks at all. And then, you know, you didn't have the easiest freshman season at UCLA. You, you played center yeah. field, you hit 200 or 203, I'll be fair, 203. Um, Thank and you. struggled a little <laughs> bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, what was the decision-making process like? And then how tough was that first year at UCLA? Oh, yeah. I was kind of close to signing, I guess you could say. I knew I always wanted to go to UCLA. My number obviously wasn't met, um, but I always wanted to go to UCLA regardless. So at the end of the day, it really came down to what I wanted to do versus the money. And I made that clear from the start. It, it, it didn't end up like – took a couple uh, left turns, right turns, but I ended up at UCLA where I wanted to be. And then, yeah, that freshman year was, was tough. I had never done that before. That jump is no joke. Uh, I didn't necessarily think it was going to be uh, easy, but uh, it was definitely harder than I thought it was going to be. So I knew I had to get better. It was, it was a wake-up call. It was, it was humbling. I, I don't consider myself cocky, but on the inside, like, confident. Um, it was definitely humbling and knowing, like, dang, dude, like, you got to get better. And it's like that in pro ball now, too. Like, you realize, okay, dude, if you really want to do this, you still have to get better, like, every single day because – everyone at this level is doing the same thing, trying to reach the big leagues. And then when you get to the big leagues, you're going to struggle there too. And you're like, got to make it better. I, I was going to ask, I, you know, a lot of times, you know, people in player development say that they want guys in the minors to, to hit that adversity, to hit that bump, because sometimes you have success, success, and then you get to the big leagues and it can smack you in the face. How much do you think that that tough freshman year at UCLA has helped inform you knowing like, all right, that's going to come and, I also can can push past it and get to that point where like, all right, I, you know, I had to keep working to get better. Yeah. I think looking back on it, that's like one of the, one of the biggest things is to know that I can hit that wall and I can kind of get through it and push through it and have confidence in myself to know that, you know, I'm a good enough player. I'm a hard enough worker to where I'm going to get better and learn from my failures as opposed to, you know, just be mad or, pissed off about him all the time because I learned a lot from that year. Um, not even so much about like, you know, swing approach, but just like how to go about it every single day. Um, and in pro ball, it's, it's honestly easier when you have a bad game because you're showing up the next day in college. You don't always show up the next day to play. You, you know, you got practice and stuff. You don't play every day, but in pro ball, sometimes like I like it. Cause like you, you go for one night the next day, like right away you're, you're back in there ready to go not that much long after you just went over the night before. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a test every time it happens to myself, like how fast can you flush it? Because it's not going to be the last time it happens. In terms of getting better, Matt, what are you, are you working on specific developmental you know, aspects of your game, whether it's hitting or fielding, or is it still early enough in your pro career that the Reds have mostly said, you know, kind of roll out there and play and, and we'll see what it looks like and, and go from there. Um, I'm certainly like working on things, but in general, yeah, I'm just trying to get better. Like, I'm just trying to hit the ball harder consistently. I'm getting better at shortstop, trying to steal more bags. I've learned a couple of things about stealing bases, which is cool. Cause I didn't always, I was always fast, but I didn't always know how to steal bases. I was kind of just running cause I was fast. Now I'm learning like the counts stuff to look at how each pitcher's start is a little bit different. Just like little things like that. Jim and I, you know, we, we, we write all these reports and blurbs on you guys. And that would, I, I believe the, the accent we would overuse there would be, you know, learning the, the nuances of the craft. Yeah. Um, when it comes to stealing bases. Trying to. Yeah. Trying. Right. It, it, as you said, like that, that's never going to stop for you, even when you're at the big level. For sure. I wanted to ask you about your defense a little bit uh, because I mean, ever since your high school days, I think everyone has been wanting to, to, to make you a second baseman. Um, except for you. And I know, you, you know, Jim mentioned you played, you had to play center, you know, at UCLA, you know, out of necessity, but uh, how intent are you on proving the, you know, people who thought, all right, you know, maybe he doesn't have the arm, maybe it'll look better from second base. Even if you end up at second base when all said and done because of big league personnel, like how important is it to you to, to, to prove skeptics that you actually can play shortstop at this level? I want to do it for me more than anyone. Like, you know, proving people wrong is cool and all, but, like, I know I can play shortstop, so I want to prove it to myself at the highest level. But at the end of the day, like, I'm a ball player and I'm going to play wherever the team needs me. But, yes, I do like shortstop the best. That's the right answer, by the way, if the Reds are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, I always like to ask guys their impressions of other players. I know you haven't been in pro ball for a, a real long time yet, but, but who's the best pitcher 
you've seen in pro ball, it can even be a teammate or somebody you saw in instruction league or spring training, but who do you think is the best pitcher you've faced in pro ball to this point or most impressive pitcher you've seen? I think uh, Espino with the Guardians. Uh, I faced him a couple times. He's He throws cheese. <laughs> I saw him, just to follow up on that, I saw him. I don't remember if you were in the game, but I saw a backfields game in the middle of March where he faced 10 hitters and struck out seven, including Nick Senzel twice. I don't, I don't think you were in that no. game, were you? I, no, I wasn't in that game, but I actually did hear about it. <laughs> I was on he the was... other field right next to it. Yeah, he was, he was ridiculous. That day he was, I think, he struck out, I know he struck out Senzel on like 102 mile an hour fastball and I think a 93 mile an hour slider and his curveball yeah. was like 85 to 87. It, it was literally the best stuff I've ever seen. So I, I, yeah. I may have the same answer as you, Matt. It was, it was ridiculous. And he mixes it up pretty well. It's not like you can sit up, like, you, you almost have to, like, look for his fastball, but he'll, he'll mix in breakers, 1-0, 2-0, and you're like, dude, you throw it 100. Like, let's throw the fastball. <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't even hesitate to answer that question. I mean, he popped right in your head right away. Yeah, well, because well, we share the complex, and I saw him a couple times um, in Lake County in Dayton last year. So I've seen him probably four different starts. He's been pretty good in all of them. How about within your own organization? You know, one thing that the Reds have, is there, there's some depth up the middle, guys who can move around. You know, a guy who's created a lot of buzz is Ellie De La Cruz. I don't know how much time you got to to interact with him. You know, I think aside from your advanced, you know, bat to ball skills, one one reason you're in double A is just so you guys can both get reps at shortstop. You know, you can't all play shortstop all at the same time. Um, just, you know, what, what did you see from him and and maybe, you know, some of the other top prospects that uh, that you've been around in, in the organization? Yeah, Ellie's funny. Um, he's He's good. Um, he, he's trying to learn some more English. I'm trying to learn some more Spanish. So we help each other on that, but he's got some juice and he's fat. He's fun to watch the, uh, run the bases. I can learn some things from him. Like he, he's so tall and he gets around the bases so fast. It's fun to watch, but yeah, the Reds do have a lot of good prospects and honestly, just a lot of good people. You know, I got to face a lot of guys, Lodolo, Ashcraft, just guys like that in spring training. They're good. All right, Matt, uh, I want to thank you very much for taking taking the time out uh, on your road trip right there. Good luck as things go along. I'm hoping maybe we see you at the Futures game, question mark, uh, in, in Los Angeles. I don't know. Is it in, uh, is it in Anaheim or Dodgers? Dodgers Stadium. Dodger Stadium. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> kind of the backyard. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but good luck the rest of the way. Thanks for joining us, and uh, congratulations on a fantastic start. Matt McLean with the Reds organization. We'll be right back after this. Much more to come on the MLB Pipeline podcast. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Radliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Thanks very much to Matt McLean for joining us on the show today. Now we're going to turn our attention to the draft. We are in the process of expanding our 2022 top draft prospects list from 100 to 150. Jim and Jonathan, as you have done that, uh, what are some things that have stood out to you during the process? Well, I, th- I think the one that stands out more than anything, just because nobody can remember it being like this, and we've talked about this before, is just the number of pitchers who aren't pitching for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, just on the on the college side, you know, Blade Tidwell of Tennessee's back, but he's only pitched a little bit. He had some shoulder issues. At least he's pitching. But Connor Prelip at Alabama is not going to pitch. Carson Wisnett, He's coming back from Tommy John surgery. He'll he'll throw some bullpens and maybe he'll pitch in the Cape. Maybe Carson wasn't in East Carolina. Got suspended for the entire season. Landon Sims blew out his elbow at Mississippi State and had Tommy John surgery. 
Payne Paulette blew out his ar- elbow at Arkansas before the season, as did Henry Williams at Duke, and they both had Tommy John surgery. Um, Kumar Rocker is still, you know, that, you know, after failing the medical exam with the Mets last year and getting offered the grand total of $0 to sign because the Mets did not want to sign him. They just wanted to pick back. There's really not even word. I and mean, we've, everybody suspects that he'll pitch an independent ball, but here we are in mid April. There's no word of that. And then you go to the high school side, Dylan Lesko has been great. He was great. at The NHSI now he's got a sore arm. You know, people aren't sure exactly what's up with that. Noah Schultz, interesting lefty from up here in Illinois uh, he came down with mono after he pitched a grand total of two innings and he's not going to do anything for a month and nobody knows how quick he will be able to build back his arm and pitch. And even Cole Phillips, who was like the big emerging high school pitcher in Texas up to hundred miles an hour, he was making a push for the first round. He blew out his arm and had Tommy John surgery. So I know I just talked for a really long time, but, and I, I may be forgetting somebody too, Jonathan, I don't know, but it's, it's unbelievable I don't even know how many guys I just named there, but all those guys were at at worst top 50 picks. Most of those guys, first rounders and outside of Blade Tidwell, who's pitched six innings now, none of them's pitching. It's insane. Yeah. And it, and it filters down. I mean, there, there are some guys who have stepped up and and pitched well, and they're going to float up, you know, to sort of fill the, the, the void, but like even further down the list, guys getting banged up, you know, even if it's just little minor things, you know, but here's a guy who's like performing really well, but he's got a shoulder thing now. So I you know, don't know where to put him. And we're not a first round guy, but more a third or fourth round guy. And I think because of the injuries and then just in general, the college pitching crop this year wasn't great. Um, there's not a lot of college pitching. <clears throat> and Jim, I don't know if you've found this to be true, but then when I've talked to scouts about, uh, about college hitters, especially guys who kind of pop up a little bit because they're performing so well, scouts aren't exactly sure what to do with some of the numbers because they don't feel, even in some of the bigger conferences, that the pitching's been that good. So, so you have guys you know who are putting up huge numbers who are like, oh, they're going to jump onto our top 150. Maybe they're even top 100 guys. But what what do those numbers mean if in the ACC conference the pitching is way down? Uh, you know, so I think that's uh, that. You know, that's been my takeaways as we've kind of drilled deeper into this list uh, and build it out. And I have heard that, and, and it's funny too because I, I don't know if you've gotten this, Jonathan, but like Friday night, if you're a scout, like not that you lock it in at the beginning of the year, but Friday night you're going to see college pitching matchups, and if you're really lucky, you can see two good college pitchers going on a Friday night. And I've talked to more guys who are going to see high school games on Fridays because there's nobody to go see. Like from from a college pitching standpoint, yeah. I do think, you know, we've talked about the big three high school guys, Drew Jones and Elijah Green and Termar Johnson at the top. And I do think the college hitting crop, while there have been some guys who've had disappointing years, the college hitting crop, crop was fairly deep. So I, I think there, there's still going to be a good number of college hitters. But I'm wondering, A, because the industry as a whole doesn't like to take college, I mean, high school pitchers high anyway, and all the college pitchers seem to be hurt or not pitching. I'm wondering if, if A, <laughs> we're going to see any pitchers taking the first 10 or 12 picks. I don't think it's impossible that it's, it's, it's a dozen straight hitters. I have no idea what the record is off the top of my head. And then B, I know we, we've sent out our list and, and we're getting a lot of feedback from people in the industry, our, our rough top 150 that we're still refining. And, and I do feel like, Jonathan, like, I feel like, if we, like we should just rip up like 22 through 40 I think our 22 through 40 more done is not going to look like our initial list we sent out. I, I already want to move guys around. I'm almost, we could the discussion for another time. I'm almost wondering if we should just take all the hurt and sideline pitchers and just throw them all together, like in one big blob somewhere. <laughs> um, because I don't know how you're supposed to distinguish between them. Um, and then we get the same thing. I mean, you've got it too. Like, like, like the most common refrain as we've gotten feedback is, I don't know what to tell you to do with any of the hurt, hurt pitchers. And it's like, I don't know what to do with them either. Yeah. I mean, most, most, most of the hurt pitchers are your guys. It just worked out that way. Um, right. So you're probably hearing that part more than me. Now that we're getting feedback on the overall list from different people, I am, I am getting that. But as you're writing these guys up, you know, based on what they did in 2021, after a, a year where they barely played in 2020, maybe, uh, maybe off of the summer, 
Uh, it's weird. It's definitely a strange time. Okay, so who are some guys to keep an eye on uh, when we expand the list here who are either making a big jump onto the list, somebody who wasn't on the list before making a big jump on, or someone who is currently on the list but making a big jump? Well, I initially would have said Cole Phillips, who I just mentioned had Tommy John surgery. Um, so it will not, Cole Phillips is still going to factor pretty high. But but the guy I, I want to spotlight is Ryan Cermak, who's an outfielder from Illinois State. And and the Redbirds, you know, they've produced some some early round picks who've become big leaguers and Paul DeYoung and Owen Miller in recent drafts. And this guy, Cermak, has a better all-around package of tools than either of them and could get drafted higher than them. Uh, DeYoung was a fourth-round pick. Owen Miller was a third-round pick. And... You know, Cermak, you know, you know, people knew he had some tools. He hit 11 home runs last year to lead Illinois State, you know, had some strikeouts, but he's just a, a much more well-rounded player this year. He, he's controlling the strike zone more. He homered in four consecutive at-bats about a week ago. Um, the fourth home run, it was over two games, was a 470-foot blast. And then I had scouts who were, who were at that weekend series, I think that was against Kansas, who saw the 470-foot homer and said he hit another homer on Sunday that might have gone even farther. I mean, he's, he's, he's big, he's right-handed. Um, you know, there is still some swing and miss, but, he, but he's making a lot more consistent contact. It, it's, it's well above average raw power. Um, it's well above average speed. He can get down the first baseline in less than 4.1 seconds. He's got a strong arm. He's been up to 95 miles an hour during a brief foray on the mound. He's center fielder who was Missouri Valley Conference defensive player of the year last year. So if he hits, I mean, you could have a guy with, with four plus tools and an average bat. I, I think he's got a chance to go as high as the second round right now. And if he, last time I checked, he was hitting 380. And if he keeps that up, like, I don't know, I haven't looked at their schedule. If they've got a matchup against a particularly good pitcher, because as Jonathan mentioned, there really aren't that many particularly good pitchers who are healthy this year. But if he has a good matchup against a top pitching prospect, I'm sure he'll get a bunch of heat at that. And if he performs well there in this draft, I, you know, if you told me he went 29th or something, um, I, I don't think it, it's different position than, than Trey Sweeney, but Trey Sweeney, who's at Eastern Illinois last year, went in the first round. I think Trey was a better pure than Cermak, but didn't have the all around tools. I, I don't think it's impossible that Ryan Cermak could sneak into the first round because, you know, there's, you know, scouts often tell us, there's going to be 30 first-round picks. It doesn't matter how how thinned out the draft is by all these injuries. There's still going to be 30 first-round picks, so somebody's got to go in the first round. All right, so that, that's that's Ryan Cermak. Jonathan, I want, to, I want to go Karnak the Magnificent here. I think you're going to tell us about Jacob Melton. <laughs> it's like you have a rundown in front of you or something. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny. We, we, were, we were joking uh, about wanting to do the top 150 and just like going from like 15 to 40, you know, and skipping those middle numbers just because someone's got to go in each of the spots. So, you know, and, and Melton is similarly, you know, a, a college performer. Uh, and that's why he he's rising up. He's at Oregon state, obviously a, a, a very highly regarded team program in the PAC 12. And the, the one thing I think, why he was kind of off the radar is he hasn't really played in the summer. So he didn't play in the Cape or for Team USA last year. He had over 400 last year at Oregon State. And this year he's continued. He's he's hitting about three, close to 370. The power has started to show up as kind of sneaky pop. But the biggest thing that, you know, uh, in addition to his you know, his bat-to-ball skills and, and, you know, the power starting to show up is he can really run and he's showing that he can play center field. He had played a bunch of first base he played some right field. He's not a first baseman just because that would be a waste of his speed. So he's gonna, he could probably play all three outfield spots if he needed him to, but he's got an above-average arm. Uh, he has a good chance to stick up the middle, and and he's hit. You know, and, and those guys tend to creep up. You know, I don't, I don't think he's a first-rounder, but if he went in the second round somewhere just because of the, the performance, his left-handed hitter, uh, good defensive abilities, it's solid tools across the board. And you guys know I can't just say one name. I'm not going to break him down, but Campbell pitcher Thomas Harrington could sneak into the first round too. Just want to throw that in there. Sneaking into the first round like Jim sneaking another name into the answer of a question. All right. Exactly. Uh, So keep an eye out for our updated and expanded top draft prospects list that will be coming your way soon. Let's answer a question from the mailbag. This comes from Twitter handle at AdvancedStats23. 
who asks, if Roki Sasaki were considered a prospect, where would he rank? And I guess technically, I mean, if he were to be declared eligible for, uh, now, he would qualify as a prospect, correct? Correct. I believe so, just because he's so young. And he wouldn't be subject to the draft, but since we were just talking about the draft, I guess I, guess I, I looked at this two ways. You know, for, for I mean, I, I guess we need to explain who Roki Sasaki is, maybe, just to some of our listeners who threw like a, a perfect game with 19 strikeouts in Japan. He's, he's 20 years old. And then his next start, he came back and threw eight more perfect innings before they pulled him, I guess, because of pitch counts. Um, pretty spectacular stuff. Um, it's, you know, fastball, like moves all over the place. Um, you know, averages around 100 miles an hour. He's got a, I don't know if he calls it a splitter or fork ball that dives at the plate. His slider is his third pitch. Um, but the combination of, of the way the, the, the splitter acts and the fastball acts, well, I mean, it literally has been impossible to hit uh, so far this season. But I, but I guess I was, I was looking at it like kind of too prior. And since we're just talking about the draft, I mean, I do think, Jonathan, I mean, I don't even know if this is that bold, given what we just said about the state of pitching. I don't think there's any question if he were in the draft, he'd be the first pitcher taken. How right could he now. not be? Um, it's mean, just a matter of how high would you take him in, in the draft. And I think, like, you could argue, I mean, Drew Jones <laughs> is pretty ridiculously talented. Um, you know, it could be plus tools across the board. Elijah Green, you know, is, is hitting better this year, um, you know, or less swing and miss. And his tools are even louder than Drew Jones's. So maybe he's not the number one pick, but I mean, I feel like he'd definitely be the first pitcher taken and go somewhere in the first three to five picks, probably. I think you can make the argument, you know, depending on what your organization is looking for to take him number one, right? Because oh, yeah, this is a guy, because you know, he's doing it against a different level of competition than those high school hitters are in it. And I understand, as we often hammer the table about come draft time, you know, you want to take the guy who's going to be the the best player long term, but Sasaki could be the best player long term and is going to help you out instantaneously um it's just insane his numbers are two walks and 56 strikeouts in 31 innings um so top 100 where you put him on your top 100 if he's eligible for the top 100 if he signed yeah, today yeah so i think if he signed today and you're putting him in the top 100 i think i it's tough right around seven i think i tuck him behind grayson rodriguez but right in that top 10 area. What about you? Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, like, I I would take Grayson Rodriguez over him. I think so. Because I think Grayson's got more pitches that, that are spectacular, and I think his delivery's better. I mean, but, but it'd be pretty close. I would take him over Shane Boz, um, who's our next pitcher. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just – then it becomes a matter of taste. Do you, do you want Sasaki or do you want the Blue Jays' Gabriel Moreno, who we have at seven, or Anthony Volpe, who we have at eight? But he'd, he'd be – He'd be in that seven to ten range somewhere, I think. He's 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 pretty interesting. I you know now we won't see him over here for several years. I wouldn't think. I mean, I don't know why Chiba would would post him. I mean, like I, I think they'd rather keep him and, and reap the benefits of having him pitch for pitch for them. And by the time he he is eligible for free agency, he no longer would qualify as a prospect. But it's a it's a great question. What what do you think, Jason? I mean. When they're listening to this, what, what, what is your feeling on, on rookie Sasaki? Man, it's 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 hard not to think uh, of you know when we dealt with the situation with Otani, and obviously that's a different different situation because he was a hitter as well, and he he was you know I, what did you guys say when we ranked Otani number one that he he could have potentially been top ten overall as a pitcher or a hitter at that time? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never, and we saw last year why. I, I've never heard scouts talk about a player <laughs> like they've talked. They've talked about uh, Otani. It was just, I mean, it's weird that you know he's you know the Japanese Babe Ruth, and that doesn't seem like hyperbole. Um, and I mean, guy, yeah. I mean, I think you could have ranked him. If you're inclined to rank a pitcher number one overall in the top 100, you could have ranked him number one either way. I mean, we I'm looking here. We graded him at the time with a 80 fastball, 65 slider, 65 splitter, 
50 curve, 50 change, 50 control, overall 70. And we we're probably a little light on the bat. We went 50 hit, although then we went 70 power, 65 run, 80 arm, 50 field. So I, I think you could have argued him number one, not just top 10, but number one either way. And how old was he then? Um, 24, I believe. Okay, so he was he was at the upper edge of you know still qualifying to be prospect eligible, whereas here we're talking about someone who's twenty years old, not as polished, not as proven. It, it does it certainly makes for an interesting debate uh, of whether you take him or Grayson Rodriguez, our our top ranked pitching prospect in baseball. I have a feeling a lot of people would say that they would go with the guy who's doing this against the higher level competition and uh, dominantly so. Could you argue, I mean, it's, it's small sample size. I mean, Japanese, I, I think Japanese baseball is somewhere in between AAA and the big leagues. I don't think it's like the same level as Major League Baseball. So it's not like Grayson Rodriguez is too far off. I, I would give... No, it's not too far off. You know, I, I think... Japanese baseball, in my mind, is probably closer to the AAA than the big leagues. I'd give it an edge over AAA, but um, and I'm sure now I'm going to get killed on Twitter for saying that. But like, it's not, it's not too much of a different level. I, I'm going to fight for Grayson Rodriguez. All right. Well, thanks very much to Advanced Stats 23 for that question, and thanks again to Matt McLean for joining us on the show. That's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.